Here we go. It's Monday night. We're getting excited. I know you are as well. It's time for Iron Sports. True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Ira in studio with us tonight. And you kind of had to make some stuff happen here. A couple of quick flights. Not the best time to be flying either with Thanksgiving right around the corner. But you hopped out of the state, came right back, doing the show live. Yes, Sunday morning. I get on a Spirit Jet uh, airline at 6.30 in the morning, fly to Pittsburgh, uh, land in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, home of the Steeler training camp, which is cool to land there. And then a, a, a good friend of mine picked me up uh, at there and drove me to, to the Steelers with the Heinz Field, uh, Hyde Park, the steakhouse beforehand game, met some people. It was great. Uh, the atmosphere was tremendous. And then ran into a game. I got to be in a suite, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I was only my third you're time. Normally you're not a sweet not guy. Not a sweet guy. It was a little different, but you know, the wet temperature was like 25 degrees, so I was a little cold. It was like a good opportunity to go in the suite and be in there. And uh, saw the Steelers put up a fight against the Bengals, but they weren't able to do something. And it, this, the food in the suite was absolutely tremendous, though. You got really some decent good. pictures. I'm sure they're on the Iron Sports yes, site. Yes, that's going to be up. Going to be up. And then, and then uh, last night, and went went there and just flew back this morning at 6:30. So I really haven't spent two days without sleeping. So, but anything for watching the Steelers and sports, so I love it. Some of your friends and loyal listeners to Iron Sports give you a hard time. Say, you know. You, Sometimes you bail out on a, on a game you could make it to, but this is proving it this week, there and back, you know, just like that. <clears throat> Ira, it, it began yesterday, but really kicked off today. It's the once every four years when Americans are all in on soccer. World Cup is here. I'm excited. I know you watched the entire game, and appropriately so. We're going to have Jonathan Clegg join us at about 7.35. Tell oh, us about great Jonathan. interview. He's the uh, Wall Street Journal soccer writer. Uh, he wrote a book about Messi versus Ronaldo, which are the two stars of the game. I was just fascinated by the book, and I'm sort of really, I'm like, I've got myself in the World Cup. And I'll tell you one thing. I thought about the Olympics. And, you know, like the Olympics has a lot of sports that we don't follow, that we'll never follow, whatever. But soccer's big. And if you're not even just a big soccer fan, it's something you can get into and watching. And these are big stars and you might know the name. So I think people are into this more. I think the casual sports fan, which I on uh, or the the good, like the football (laughs) fan or the, you know, I think they're going to be into this as if America advances and they keep winning. I think it's the English on Friday when England plays in USA, the ratings are going to be off the charts. No, and I totally agree with you. I think that anyone who's a casual sports fan, if you just like football, you're going to get into this because the the competition is fantastic, especially when you get through the group stages. That's why we need America to you know continue uh, playing good or play better uh, coming up against England on Friday. I'm a little bit worried about that one, but plenty to talk about with Jonathan Clegg, 735. Let's start it off with college, Ira, and the landscape got shaken up a little bit this week. You had major predictions three weeks ago and they seemed really good up until this week. Well, I was wrong on one so far, but I said that I felt that Tennessee, because what happens, I had now coming this weekend, we had nine teams that had a chance at the playoffs. Now we're down to seven and Tennessee lost and North Carolina lost. And I really feel like if Georgia wins out, Ohio State wins, I think still Michigan is has this shot because TCU, I think TCU and USC, which just barely won this week, I think they're going to lose. But if US, if TCU wins out, they're undefeated, they're in, and if USC wins out, they're going to be in also. But I don't think they are, and I think Michigan's going to get in, and I think Clemson still has a shot to get in uh, in this. So I, if I'm a Clemson fan, you know, keep, but they have a tough game this weekend against South Carolina. But I think um, among, I think it's going to sort out. It probably will come down to five teams for four spots, and that usually what happens all the time. Yes. And then we're going to argue that this team or that, whatever. So, But deciding right now, if they win out, you're going to put an undefeated TCU and an undefeated and a one-loss USC Pac-12 champion. But USC still has to play Notre Dame this week in a huge game, and they have to go play Oregon. So I think they're going to lose one or both of those games, and TCU could lose to Iowa State, and they could lose to Kansas State in the Big 12 championship game. So I think, and Clemson could lose, so you know, we'll see what happens. It's Tennessee losing really shook the landscape up. Let's start with that game. I did not see this coming. This was, you know, Tennessee is on their best role they've been on since they won the national championship 25 years ago. And that season just got the wind completely taken out of it by South Carolina. South Carolina this year has an up and down year. They were six and four coming to the game. Spencer Rattler, the name was uh, two years ago at Oklahoma. He was, uh, he was the star. People thought he was the number one pick in the NFL draft. Then he had this terrible year. Then Kyle Williams, who was the quarterback at uh, USC, comes in, takes his job. And Spencer Rattler then has to transfer out after next year, after last year, to South Carolina, and this year he's had a terrible year. Nine touchdowns, eight interceptions. Spencer Rattler looked like the number one pick. Like if we had to put the pick, the one quarterback who had the best game all year, it was Spencer Rattler. 30 for 37, 440 yards, six 
touchdowns in a team when they were um, they were favored, you know, they were underdog by 22 and a half points. It was at home against South Carolina in Columbia. We had Steve Tanio on the show before talking about that atmosphere. They have the lights going. I love when they can turn the lights on and off on this big stadium. <laughs> it used to be in a basketball arena, if the lights go off, you have to wait 10 hours for them, the lights to come back on. They were turning the lights on and off after almost every first down, it seemed like. It was crazy. The fans, they stormed the field. They're getting $100,000 fines. But it was a great atmosphere. And Tennessee, uh, Hendon Hooker, who has been amazing, was the Heisman Trophy frontrunner going to this game. It just they couldn't keep up. I mean, it's like South Carolina just scored and scored again. And it was just one thing that it was just, it was the most that Tennessee has ever allowed SEC game, topping the 62-37 that Steve Spurrier in Florida put on Tennessee. Um, Hooker was had three touchdowns, but Jalen Wyatt, their star wide receiver, had his longest catch was 16 yards. And Cedric Tillman, their other star wide receiver, his longest catch was 21. First five possessions for South Carolina, 35 points. I mean, that is just the most, uh, they had for the game, nine touchdowns and one punt. That oh, is, man. I mean, you could not run a more perfect, but this was, Tennessee's defense is terrible. And then I feel horrendous because Hendon Hooker at the end of the game was struggling to come back, you know, then injured and tore his ACL. So now he's out and I think Hooker is fantastic. He's, he's not, he should be blamed because his defense is absolutely horrendous. And if he comes out, he's someone who could get drafted in the third or fourth round and be a total steal. Like he could be the quarterback of the future two years from now because I don't, I mean, just because he's not going to win the Heisman Trophy, should not be taken about that he had a great year, tremendous year. I saw him at Athens when he was on the field throwing those 70, 80-yard passes that seemed on the fly, looked like in the world, and then he loses that game against Georgia, now loses this game. It just shows you in college football. It's like, that's what I love about the game, though. Every game matters, and that's what I like the 14 playoffs. I agree with you. I think Hooker would have been maybe a second-round pick, you know, had had he continued the trajectory he was on. Yeah, now he might fall to the third, fourth round. Think about where Malik Willis was drafted. And they looking at a much better prospect in Hendon Hooker. Someone might get a steal here later his on in the draft. His arm strength is off the chart. I he's saw smart, him in, too. And he's smart, and, he, and, he, and he's a hard worker, and I just, I felt, I, you gotta feel bad for him, for that injury that he had, and he was just struggling to keep his team in the game, but South Carolina, what an atmosphere, what a game, and that just shows you in some of these environments, like the SEC environments, that boy, the team, they're having a terrible year, but for Spencer Rattler to come in and throw that game, and his passes were amazing. They're like, you know, Kerb Herbst like, I, I don't know what he's doing. I, this is, a, <laughs> this this is Spencer from? Rattler from two years years ago, but just tremendous. (laughs) Let's talk about Georgia Tech and UNC. And UNC was one of these teams, there's people already talking about people tanking for for May, the quarterback of UNC next year when he's eligible to be drafted. Didn't look like number one overall pick uh, yesterday on Saturday. North Carolina had the outside of outside chances. They had to beat Clemson and hope everybody else loses, but there's still a possibility because they had one one loss. I've seen everything happen. um, And so there's still that possibility. They're up 17-0 over Georgia Tech. They were favored. They're another favorite by 21 points. Points. They're up by 17 points. They give up. They give a, a touchdown, uh, and then, it, but then suddenly it was 17-7. Then UNC was held scoreless by Georgia Tech, which Georgia Tech, which fires the coach, which was four and six going into the game. And in the second half, they had three punts, one interception, and they d- didn't convert on downs. On fourth and 11, they were on the 11-yard line. They threw May through to a wide-open receiver in the end zone who dropped the ball, and that was it. That, their, their season's finished with that. But they're still playing Clemson in the ACC championship game. But what a t- Terrible, terrible loss for them. Considering you know they had this great offense, uh, Derek May was you know considered next year. Uh, next year he's going to be the Heisman Trophy uh, front runner, I think, to start the year because he is amazingly talented. But just a terrible second uh, second half of the game. Georgia and Kentucky, and Georgia's a team that's just been bowling people over. Will Levis was supposed to be a first round draft pick. Georgia didn't bowl anyone over yesterday. Kentucky kept this one kind of close. Will Levis, again, not looking like even someone who should be drafted, but he doesn't have really anything around him. Tell us about Mel this Kuyper game. keeps saying, that's why it's so fun to watch these games. Like when Josh Allen was saying, oh, Josh Allen's going to be drafted high. You know, you don't see these quarterbacks. If you're watching football, you're seeing Will Levis. Will every Levis week almost. Every week, and he's not doing anything to <laughs> yeah. show you that he's, you know, this. But they, Mel Kuyper keeps putting him as number one because he's big and strong, and he throws the ball hard, but he has zero offensive line. And uh, their defense played well, though, against Georgia. I got to give Kentucky's credit, but uh, but Kentucky lost to Vanderbilt the week before. Now they lost this game. Georgia was up uh, 9, 6-3-0, 9-0. They couldn't get any touchdowns. They finally went up 16-0 at end of three, and uh, they went, then Kentucky actually stopped Georgia on a goal line stand, made it 16-6. But Levis was like 206 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Stetson Bennett for Georgia didn't really play that well. Uh, it was a weird type of game, but Georgia's defense, what you take away from that game is Kenny McIntosh actually ran really well for them. Uh, but 
and they, but Georgia does give up points. They have the best defense of all these teams left. Better defense. I mean, besides Michigan's, which the George Michigan's defense is tremendous, but against Ohio State, you know, Georgia's defense. If Georgia played TCU, they would destroy them. I don't think TCU could score anything because Georgia's defense is that is that good. And you saw what they did to Tennessee. They've shut everybody out almost all year long. But it's still offensively, you'd like to get some more. But they 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 played ball control. They look, they knew they had the lead. They knew it. They just played ball control, won the game. This is Ira on Sports True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Don't forget you can follow Ira all across the globe at Ira on Sports on social media. Ohio State and Maryland. And Maryland kept this one way closer than I think most people thought it would Last be. week. Maryland lost to Penn State 30 to nothing. They were shut out. The previous two meetings, Ohio State, they lost 73-14 and 66-17. This is like a high school girls basketball score, <laughs> what you see in it. I mean, blown out. Iowa State was favored by 28 points, and Maryland had the ball at the end of the game with a chance to win the game down six. That's how crazy this game is. And Talia Tagalua, we know about Tua, his brother, Talia sets the Maryland record for passing in the game. He was a lights out, amazing. 26 for 36 for 300 yards and two touchdowns. And if I'm an Ohio State fan, I'm like, where is our defense? Because I was giving them a lot of credit on having this great defense. Their defense did not look good in this game at all. C.J. Stroud had only one touchdown, 241 yards. Now, Ohio State, of course, is looking forward to the team. You know, they keep calling. They don't refer to Ohio State of Michigan by their names. One's a team up north. There's a team down south. They, you know, whatever <laughs> they say. But Dolan Hayden, their uh, freshman running back, who hadn't run almost anything all year, had three touchdowns, 150 yards, because uh, Myron Williams and Trayvon Henderson were injured. Henderson ran a little bit in this game. But it was, I mean, Ohio State, they could have lost this game. It was 33-30 with 10 minutes to go. Ohio State had fourth and one on the Maryland's 42, and they were stopped on fourth and one. Like, their offense was stopped. And then Maryland didn't do anything with the ball and Ohio State you know, made it 36-30 but they couldn't get, get that touchdown to put the game away so they, they really could not put Maryland away it doesn't make me feel comfortable now I know they're looking forward to Michigan but boy they this was one of the games where their defense didn't play well and I think their offense didn't score when they had their chance to score well Michigan didn't exactly come out like gangbusters either 19-17 versus Illinois 19-17 they had to kick a field goal at the end of the game I mean it was really just kicking, kicking field goals the entire game uh, they were missing all their players I mean it seemed like both these teams sat players for anticipating for the next week. They were missing Mike Morris, their best defensive player, Donovan Evans, the running back, and their Heisman Trophy candidate, Blake Corum, had 18 carries for 108 yards. Then he gets hurt. Now, it seems like he could play against Ohio State, but he went out of the game, but it was uh, t- the score was 10-10, and uh, then Illinois took the lead, 17-10. Michigan gets a punt return, just a 17-13. They scored literally three field goals in a row. It was like playing blackjack. 10-13, mm-hmm. 16, and then they kicked a field goal with like three minutes to go to make it 17-16, if Illinois gets a first down, this is sort of like TCU Baylor. If Illinois gets one first down, this game is over and Michigan is done. And uh, and they ended up uh, they ended up getting the ball back and kicking another field goal, making it nineteen uh, seventeen to win. But Illinois didn't really have a chance. I mean, Illinois. This is one thing with Baylor too. It's like, boy, when you have a, ch- you cannot give these balls back to this other team. Like, score the touchdown, get the first, just not score the touchdown, get the first down and end the game. Well, let's talk about TCU and Baylor then. Going into this one, you you were saying TCU can lose to Baylor this week. You were ready to put TCU out. And, I was, and it was I, close. I look so smart. I look so smart. I mean, in the first half, Baylor outgained them 328, 320 to 186 yards. Uh, they ran 21 plays. TCU ran 21 plays. Baylor ran 50 plays in one half. It was a complete demolition. And uh, Baylor went down, was third and 10, but the score was 14-14, which is absolutely ridiculous. And then Baylor was on, went third and 10 with 10 minutes to left. Huge pass, made it set with 70 yards, and they scored two-point conversion, made it 28-20. to And Baylor stopped TCU on third and nine. They punt Baylor then, again, with a chance. You're up by eight. Just a field goal, and you're going to beat TCU. They punt. You know, this is it, Baylor. So the fans were there. And then Baylor has, uh, then the Baylor had three timeouts left, and TCU drives down there, and Max Dugan, uh, well, Baylor had the ball, and it was, and TCU just kept running their timeouts. So it was third down, and the Baylor quarterback scrambles out, and there was a wide receiver standing with no one around him, 10 yards. All he did was throw the ball 10 yards. First down, there's no timeouts left. Game is over. He doesn't throw the ball. He's like, stands there like a deer in headlights, which I saw when I was in Pennsylvania, a bunch of deer in the headlights, but, <laughs> and stands there, gets t- sacked, and then TCU gets the ball back. Max Dugan, the great quarterback for TCU, is running around, crazy. And the weird thing they did with third and seven on the 26 with 17 seconds to go they're they're down at that point. They were down two points that they, they go and they run the ball. So like, what are they running the ball for? So they had to put the field goal team on. They had no whatever. And they barely got it off of like a second to go. This 
field goal and they made it, which is the, <laughs> which I think uh, Sunny Dykes is, is for the coach. It was insane to think like while he goes, oh, I want to move the ball to a better position, but to have that fire drill to go run around and kick it. But Baylor, you know, Baylor was a better team the whole game. They lost. And uh, next week, TCU plays Iowa State. I still think TCU has now been a double digit down double digits and now three straight games and still won the game. Now, I give them credit, but they cannot keep living, you know, playing with fire and living with it. At this. some point, your luck runs out yeah. in these tight situations. Well, Minnesota Vikings learned that, too. We'll talk about them later. <laughs> USC and UCLA looked like it was going to be the game of the week and pretty much was. Oh, right? my gosh. I mean, I was excited about this. It was one of those things I was at. Um, UCLA, USC wins 48-45. And it is the it was it was to the point where they just kept trading touchdowns. It was crazy. First of all, UCLA got this lead, and you're thinking, well, if you're going to lead of seventeen to seven, like you're going to or twenty one ten, you're going to hold that. No, because if you got to don't keep scoring, it was almost the first one to fifty wins. It was forty eight forty five, but they were just trading. And Caleb Williams was absolutely amazing. But so was Dorian Thompson Robinson uh, for uh, for UCLA. He was twenty three for thirty eight, three hundred nine touchdowns, three hundred nine yards, four touchdowns, and Caleb Williams was four hundred seventy yards, two touchdowns interception. And Jordan Allison, who we've been talking about before, who was the top Belitnikov Warner, the top wide receiver last year from Pitt, who transferred to USC like how Williams did, uh, he caught almost 200 yards and 11 catches for a touchdown. But uh, it was like, it was 48-45 UCLA scores. There was no punt, you know, in like 16, they had 16 drives in this game where no one punted, which is insane. And then UCLA sack Williams won the 50, they punt. It gave them, it gave UCLA a chance to have the, become, UCLA had a, the ball with like a minute and a half to go first and 10 on their own like 11 and they threw an interception like they had the chance again like with Maryland but you thought that UCLA could score in USC because they literally were just exchanging touchdowns and I, I feel bad for UCLA but what it, it was a tremendous game and it sets USC up for the game against Notre Dame next week still in the playoff hunt some people around the country think Caleb Williams is your Heisman I think people, right I think they're gonna he is after a game like that people are really pushing him for it uh, and also the number one pick in the, in the NFL draft remember Lincoln Riley is the coach was the coach at Oklahoma last year shockingly says, I'm going to come to USC and just, this is one thing. It's like, well, we got to give coaches a chance. We got to give them a chance to recruit. They don't, he, he bought in like 25 transfers. <laughs> he brings, like Cal Williams, I'm going to bring him as my quarterback. He brings his quarterback, linemen, linebackers, everything takes people forever. And now his team, that's, I mean, that's how the, it works. And, and that's, you know, that in terms of creating this, you're not, I don't think teams are going to give these uh, coaches as much long. They're saying, look, we're not who you're bringing from transfer. I'm not going to wait for some uh, freshman to develop. So speaking about new coaches <laughs> in new scenarios, brought some players with them too. It's Mario Cristobal and Miami's been nothing short of disappointment. And now we're hearing Ira this week that players are getting dismissed from practice. Parents are going and complaining to Cristobal. It's kind of a circus in, in Miami. Um, in the first half, it was 24 nothing. I don't remember a game like this. It was Forget about the score, which was 40-10, to 10, which was actually closer than it was. The game was not as close as the score <laughs> indicates because it was 24 nothing at halftime. Clemson had 14 first downs. Miami had one. How about the yardages? The, you know, we're talking about the Jets with Zach Wilson about having... They had 228 yards for Clemson to nine. Nine. Nine yards an entire half. It was unbelievable. For the game, they held... Clemson held Miami to 98 yards for the entire game. 450 to 19. I mean, the, the first down how about this? 27 to 6. It was one of the worst losses you could forget about the points. It was like, you know, I, Clemson could have named their score and they just purposely just said, we're not going to run the score up on them. But it's embarrassing for Miami, which is five and six right now. And they play Pitt next week. And they're even if they go, if they beat Pitt and they're six and six, I mean, they'll probably go to a bowl just for the practicing. But this is, has to be clearly the most, one of the most, dis, not just this year, one of the most disappointed team that people were had in the top five and six in, when the season started uh, with a Heisman Trophy. You know, a candidate, a quarterback, to potential be NFL quarterback, to be, to be five, Tyler Van Dyke, to be five and seven. I mean, it's just unheard of. So, speaking of disappointment, I don't even know if that's what you call Florida and Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt now. What is this, two weeks in a row with an SEC win? What's going on here? Yes, they had lost 26 SEC games in a row. They beat Kentucky, and they're like, we like this winning. Let's keep winning again, and now we're going to beat Florida. And wow, I mean, that's just, Anthony Richardson had a really good game with 400 yards, but it's like, I'll tell you what, Vanderbilt just was a terrible loss for Florida, and i got to give Vanderbilt a lot of credit because, of course, they don't have the resources that the other SEC schools do in terms of spending for football, but bad loss for Florida and a big, big win for Vanderbilt. So Ole Miss was one of those darling teams early on in the season, seemed to be 
fading here. Did not look good against Arkansas. People thought they were in the playoffs. They had one loss, but now they've lost two in a row. They lost Alabama. And I'll tell you, Arkansas was up 42 to 6. I mean, this was a game. It was even. It was a pick em game. How would you like to bet this game? I'm going to bet a pick em game, and you're leading 42 to 6. <laughs> and I think one thing people are missing with Arkansas, when KJ Jefferson, their quarterback, plays, I saw him play in the Citrus Bowl or the, the uh, Outback Bowl last year. They don't call it Outback, but in Tampa against Penn State. He was unbelievable. But when he doesn't play, the Arkansas, it's all whether he's going to play or not. And they're a totally different team. Arkansas uh, was six and five, but I think they're, they only have like one loss with him at quarterback. What about uh, Iowa and Minnesota here? Well, I wanted to bring that game up because Iowa won 13 10. So that means that, and Minnesota, I feel bad for Minnesota because Muhammad Ibrahim, their, their star running back, who's going to be playing in the NFL next year, had 39 carries. It's <laughs> amazing. I'd just be a fantasy, uh, you know, in, in NFL and having your back. <laughs> 39 carries for 260, 263 yards, but he fumbled in the last five minutes. Then they, Minnesota made another interception. Iowa had a field goal. And uh, now in the end, it was it's 13-10. But Iowa now sets themselves up if they beat Nebraska to play in the Big Ten Championship game against Ohio State or Michigan, which they would probably be a 30-point underdog because they were beat by Ohio State by 54-10 to 10 earlier in the year. So, I mean, this is we're looking at some championship games between Georgia LSU and Iowa and over either Michigan or Ohio State and even Clemson, North Carolina, that are going to be just these point spreads are going to be in the double digits or 20 to 30 points. Yeah, four touchdown yes. spreads we're going to be seeing. Any other games you want to talk about here? Um, I, I can I say Penn State won. I mean, Penn, <laughs> uh, Penn State is a very funny team. They, they beat up of everybody else. They were 9-2. and two. They beat Rutgers. They destroyed them. They won 31 out of 33 for the series. Their freshman running backs, Caden Allen and Nick Singleton, the Penn State uh, rookie running back record for running backs. So when Penn State had a ton of great rookie, I mean, freshman running backs, it's like it was eight. They have now both broke the record in the same year, which is amazing. But the problem with Penn State is they're 4-14 four and 14 against Ohio State and Michigan. And that's happens when you're in the same division as they are. You're not going to be playing the cultural playoffs. You can lose to those two every single year, and that's going to be your two losses. Maybe they should move to like Conference USA or something like <laughs> no, some of these other no, teams. No, are doing. no, 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 no. <laughs> what are we watching there? Any, what else? And, well, with Michigan, Ohio State, Ohio State's fair by seven and a half. Um, I, I'm telling you, I, I think I like Michigan with the points. I think this game's too close to get seven and a half. Georgia takes at Georgia. Georgia's fair by 33 and a half. Notre Dame at USC. I, again, as I said, I like US Notre Dame with the five and a half points. Iowa State at TCU. I'm going to take Iowa plus the 10 points. And South Carolina at Clemson. Clemson's getting 14 and a half. If, I can't believe, I mean, South Carolina was amazing. Both, that game's going to be exciting. And I'll tell you one thing LSU's at Texas AM. And Texas AM, this is the last game of the year. Their TEC season has been as, as disappointing as Miami's. And LSU is in the SEC title game. But I'll tell you what, Texas AM could beat them. Like, if this is their last game. They're going to play, this is their bowl game and everything. I think Texas AM could beat LSU, LSU at Texas AM. And you also get 10 points. And the, of course, the Iron Bowl, Auburn, Alabama. But no one's talking about that because Alabama is favored by 21 and a half. So. I'm Tyron Sports, True Oldies Channel, Mike Balsamo here. About 10 minutes, Jonathan Clegg will join us, talk a little World Cup, also Messi versus Ronaldo, book he just writ, uh, wrote. Going to the NFL, Ira, we're starting to see a couple more teams get eliminated here, and both New York football teams may, may have kind of sealed their fate this week, but where do we stand? You know, the, the FC East, Miami at 7-3, Buffalo 7-3, Pat 6-4, Jets 6-4, six, six and, and Cincinnati 6-4 within the North, and the Chargers were 5-5, five and five, but those are the teams. I mean, you really think Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Jacksonville, Houston, Raiders, and Denver are eliminated. It's almost like all these teams are fighting for just, there's only like one of them is going to be eliminated. Because you, remember, people forget, there's three wild cards this year. So there's four division winners, three wild cards, that's seven teams get in. I just gave you eight teams fighting for seven spots. So, and you got to think some of these teams are going to go off the way, you know, in terms of, and the Chiefs at eight and two, look, you know, they have the, the they have the best chance to have that single buy. What about in the NFC? Well, Again, it's it's the same situation where the seeding. I mean, Dallas seven three, Giants seven three, Washington six and five, Minnesota's eight and two, and San Francisco's five and four. But eliminated. So this is eliminated is Detroit, Green Bay, Chicago, New Orleans, Carolina, Arizona, and the Rams. But when you when the season started, people would say Green Bay, the Saints, and the Rams. They have to be. I mean, how can they be eliminated in a seventeen playoff? That to crazy. be eliminated is crazy. And a sneaky thing that people have to remember about something about something. Tampa is only five and five. Oh, it's five and five. Terrible. They're five and five. These other teams are seven, but they, they they will have the they will have a home the field for their first round. But they're always going to be the four seed. So depending on how the other seeds go in, they could actually keep playing. Depending if there's wild cards, I mean, it, they potentially if the 
one, unless they're playing the one, two, or three seeds, they potentially could keep hosting home games, even though they're a five and five record. And also, they are the fourth seed, and they're held at the fourth seed. So you mentioned the Rams being pretty much out of it. Do you happen to know what the worst record is ever following a Super Bowl win? I bet you. 500 records. Six and 10. Oh, wow. So their crew, they might be able to, to, to break that here. You were at the game, Cincinnati-Pittsburgh. You mentioned you were in the suites. And you're not usually, you like to be with the fans. You like to be as close to the field as you can get. You were in the suite, but it looked awesome. I appreciated being there because it was so cold. But I, you know, the only thing I'll say in a suite, I wish they would keep the windows open in a suite because then you feel when the, when it's closed, I get, I don't get, you know, I just see the glass. It takes the crowd away. Yeah, it takes the crowd. And the Steeler crowd's great. And I got to give Steelers, you know, crowd tremendous. It's 23 degrees out there. And they flexed the game out. That was supposed to be the night game. But they said Bengals, Steelers. I mean, that just shows you with the respect the Steelers are getting. This is ridiculous. Who would ever flex? You know, Vontae's perfect. I mean, this is the whole history of the Bengals and the Steelers to take that game out of a Sunday night game and put them at a four o'clock game and put the Chargers and the Chiefs at, at the 8 o'clock on Sunday night. That's a, It's an embarrassment to Pittsburgh. But they fell to 3-7 and seven in Cincinnati in a must-win game with 6-4. and four. Remember the first game of the Steelers season, the Steelers won in that crazy, crazy game yeah. where they're missing field goals and making field goals. and you know, that, that was crazy. And Cincinnati was missing Jamar Chase. Uh, Joe Mixon, their star running back, was in concussion protocol early in the game. But boy, the Steelers defense, just <laughs> that second half. The Steelers at 2017 at halftime, so you felt more to conf- confident. Najee Harris had a high Highlight run where I got a great picture of him. Her, you know, one of, he's the best hurdler I've ever seen at running. <laughs> he and Barkley should have like a competition hurdling. But then in their six next in the second half, the Steelers had six drives of 52 total yards, and that's really what. And they just could not stop him. And even though JJ uh, TJ Watt had an amazing interception on Joe Burrow, and then they only converted that with a field goal with all that enthusiasm. But Burrow played great. And the key is that when you look at Cincinnati, you look at one statistic and one statistic only: sacks, two sacks. The Steelers defense, you know, you got to sack him more. I know that sounds a lot with two, but with Cincinnati, that's that wasn't enough. And Kenny Pickett played okay, but you know, when I'm there up, up high and you're watching, he missed. A, he's missing passes and he misses high. If you notice a game, it's like he just throws it high, and that's what you notice about Tom Brady. It's like, well, if he would have completed, he would have got tackled. But you don't want to ever miss high. Like Brady, when he throws it, says, "I'm going to throw a ball away." He throws it in the ground. Yeah. You don't throw it high because it could be tipped and anything could go. I, I, you know, I think Pickett is still, you know, questioning. He's learning on the fly. No, and I was joking you about the fantasy. I was in that game. I was going into that you know, when all the games were over the, near the end of the fourth quarter. I was up by point and a half. And if Kenny Pickett and I had uh, George Pickens and I was playing someone who had the Bengals defense and they got one sack. So they cut it now to a half a point. And I was playing like a, a whole drive. If Pickett gets sacked one more time, I lose. And I'm like, don't get sacked. Don't do the reception. And then we, they got a touchdown. But that was so I won by half a point. Speaking of fantasy, Samaj P. Ryan comes in for Joe Mixon, scores three touchdowns. Mixon in concussion protocol. Missed two games last year with a concussion. Might be a good pickup for somebody needing running back. Totally. And you know what was so funny? And this is what I criticized Steelers for because I have, I took the videos of those. I posted them on Iron Sports on Instagram on the P. Ryan touchdowns. He scored three times. I got them both, all three of them. They look like the exact same play. Like the Steelers, they ran the exact same (laughs) play to the right. They threw the screen passes to him. It's unbelievable, terrible defensive. uh, Steelers on defense. Uh, You're seeing something on defense. You could have a superstar running back and a superstar quarterback, a superstar wide receiver, and you're going to score points. But on defense, you could have TJ Watt and Micah Fitzpatrick, and you put Lawrence Taylor out there. But if you don't have 11 guys on defense, you're not going to win. You need all the players to play. So, you know, we talked about sometimes your luck runs out, and Minnesota had won seven of their eight games by one score or less. And, man, the Dallas defense, I still think Minnesota's good. I still don't think Dallas is great. But, man, the Dallas defense gave Kirk Cousins a lot of trouble. He got pulled from the game. Well, this is overreaction Monday. I mean, clearly, that's what... I mean, now Minnesota, they're terrible. They're 8-2. and two. They were <laughs> awful. They had just beat Buffalo in the craziest game Best in the game world. In the, year, in the yeah. year. And so they're coming off that high. And Dallas had lost to Green Bay, and they're mad at themselves and motivated. But it's like in one of these games where, you know, Minnesota fell down and couldn't get up. They were down so early and down so much at 23-3. And that was like 37-3. Scores you've never imagined. It was the fifth largest Viking loss ever. And the biggest Cowboy Road win ever. And it's just like one of those things where they just gave up in the thing like you got the lead look like a race running a race so I, I, Kirk Cousins, everyone hit sacks seven times. I mean, everyone's criticizing Kirk Cousins like he's Zach Wilson. I'm like, you just saw him the week before beat Buffalo, and now you're saying he's the worst quarterback in the world. People I, love to hate Kirk Cousins. I just, I, he is the, he just, he gives, he gives them an inch, and they take a mile and hating <laughs> Kirk Cousins. And I guess that's overreaction. It's like the Cowboys are great, they're amazing, they're unbeatable, and the Vikings are overrated. I'm not. I think it was one game like that Cowboys played well, but I think that really the teams are pretty even. I, I would agree with you wholeheartedly there. Kansas City and, and L.A. Chargers got. 
flex into the night game. Turned out to be a great game. This is we talk about this though. You know, the, the game's coming down to the line, and all that the Chargers need to do is kick a field goal to tie the game up, and they don't run the clock out. They they get the touchdown is great, but you can't give the ball back to Patrick Mahomes with a minute and forty seconds. It's not going to work out well for you. It, Mahomes likes it. I swear, <laughs> Mahomes. He was waiting did, on the sideline. Mahomes, if he could play every game, just give me the ball at the end with a minute go, and he's going to win. He's tremendous. And Kelsey, and again, how did they let Kelsey score? He has three. T- Kelsey, Travis Kelsey, uh, six catches, one hundred fifteen yards. Three touchdowns. Um, how do you let him open? Uh, not open, but you should like just knock him down. Do something. You cannot let him catch the ball because he was like played like a video game in terms of running that in that touchdown at the end. And then when you don't think you know again, Kansas City, you like Mahomes, all his wide receivers are hurt. He's playing with different wide receivers. They're bringing in other things. He's not complaining like all like no. like Aaron Rodgers yeah. who says, "Oh, I have rookie wide receivers. I don't have the team I want." He just throws to Sky Moore. It's like you want a Sky Moore. If you want to bring who takes people out of the stands and come out and I'm gonna that's Mahomes. See, that's Mahomes. He's not looking for excuses. Is he's looking to win the game. He it's just his passion. Even after the game, he's like, "Oh, this is so much fun. I love this." But even when he loses, I think he just has that gusto. And I would never, as much as we criticize him when he throws stupid interceptions, I think the only way to beat Kansas City is to totally trick him. Is to really just because you're not going to stop him because he is going to run around. He's going to find it and make those plays. And now you're seeing Sky Moore, rookie, and Pacheco, their seventh round pick from Rutgers, yeah. Rutgers, who whatever, <laughs> and he rushes for 105 yards, the first 100 yard rusher in Kansas City in years. So now they have a running game and they're passing the ball, and they have all these rookies that are playing great. Uh, Kelsey has tied his career um, career best season for touchdowns with seven games to go, and he broke Rob Gronkowski's record of most 100-yard games uh, as a tight end. Well, we talked about maybe the best game of the season last week with <laughs> Minnesota and uh, and Buffalo. This might have been the worst game I've ever seen, Ira. Jets and Patriots, and what a just a back-breaking, heartbreaking way to lose for the Jets. Well, the Jets had the Jets beat Miami Hurricanes. They had they had 103 total yards, and the Hurricanes had 98, so they were able to get that much. <laughs> but it was one of those things where everyone is criticizing Zach Wilson. He was 9 for 22, 77 yards, 4 sacks. They had minus 29 yards passing in the second half. Um, total, like, they had 3 and 14. Both teams were terrible, though. I mean, the boat was 3-3, and the Patriots had a punt return with three seconds to go to walk off win, which was the first punt return of the year. It was a crazy ending of a game. But, like, Mac Jones didn't play that great, you know, but everyone is palling on Zach Wilson, and the question is, what are the Jets going to do? But is the answer to bring Joe Flacco in? Mike I, White is who they want, the fans. But I just I, I just don't get it. Like, you're 6-4, and four and then you're, I don't, I mean, when they, I just think this, I think to pull Zach Wilson in this is, that's crazy. You're number What's two killing Zach Wilson is zero accountability. He was asked by the New York press, could you have done more to win this game? Did you let the defense down? No. You kind of did. But so he's going to get pulled because it's, I mean, you don't get, you're, but you're going to get pulled for your post game press conference. Like, that's the one thing is like it's New York media. I know. And that's what, you know, it's like, I, I just, oh my God, to throw, I, I look, he's not, I don't, the question now, this week is going to be the big week. Everyone says, what's going to be that closer? Because the Bears play the Jets and Fields. Probably without Fields. Yeah. If, but if Fields, that's, a, that helped me. If Fields had played because Fields was drafted after Wilson. So if Fields outplays Wilson and they're saying, oh, this was a mistake, you drafted Wilson before Fields, that would have been the end for Zach Wilson. But that's so we'll see what happens. Well, it, it's like we've talked about in the show, the Mitch Trubisky syndrome, where he's buried because Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes got drafted later than him. Now you're seeing the Bears think they have their quarterback of the future and the Jets have no idea. And right. they took him second overall. You got to love Tennessee. I, I don't know. I, I think any blue collar guy, if you just stepped in and started watching NFL games with no preconceived notions, you got to like the way Tennessee comes out and plays hard every week. I think blue collar girls would also like how Tennessee <laughs> plays because Doug they, are, a dream they, they were, they were, uh, uh, Ryan Tannehill, 333 yards. I mean, talk about another Kirk Cousins. Like, you know, he played great, but again, Aaron Rodgers, they, they had the big cowboy win. They come out and they were flat. I mean, they only gave 271 yards. They had 56 yards rushing and Aaron Rodgers didn't feel like he even wanted to be out there playing. And, uh, but that, Terry, they just know how to use Derrick Henry. On that one run, that Derrick Henry runs the line, he stops and he throws the jump pass like Tim Tebow. That was amazing. <laughs> like I just love their innovation. And then their tennis, their offense coordinator gets pulled over for a DUI when they land the plane. Which, oh, how could that can even happen? But um, but bad loss. I mean, Green Bay's four and seven. They actually played that extra game because their bye week hasn't come up yet. And then the question is. 
do when do you pull Aaron Rodgers? I mean, do you keep having him playing this year to get used to his wide receivers? I assume that he probably has a couple more games left uh, because Christian Washington played well for them. Uh, but Romeo Dobbs is coming back. But there is a point where you want to maybe put Jordan Love in the game, you know, to see this Jordan Love who we've talked about so much to come into play. I think they know what they have in Jordan Love, and they're not very. They're not, they don't want to show, I think they don't want to show anybody. <laughs> Detroit and the Giants, my poor New York Giants. I, I hope this isn't you know turning into a pumpkin at midnight type of thing, but they really didn't look competitive in, in this game. Detroit kind of had their way with them the entire uh, 60 minutes. The Giants are 7-3, and three, but that's what I'm saying is some of these teams, we talked about this last week, some of these teams with these records, I don't think, like Detroit, I don't th- like I didn't think coming to this game, I think Detroit's like maybe better than the Giants. So I, these that's, that's why I keep saying Tampa and the NFC. Tampa, I keep, Tampa and, and San Fran are my two teams because I think that, forget their records, they're both like 5-5 and five and 5-4, five and five and whatever, but they're, they're I just like their, I think they're better teams. That's all. Top to bottom, they look better on paper, yes. that's for sure. Um, any other games you want to highlight here before we have to get to Jonathan Clegg? Philadelphia barely beating Indy, but Indy's playing tough now with the, the turn to Jeff Saturday. Uh, they've had now two good games in a row. Baltimore, I, I, what happened with them against Carolina? Only winning 13-3, really sloppy game. The Raiders-Denver's game was absolutely crazy at the end. Yeah. And Russell Wilson, I mean, he's someone, uh, that might be a, a, someone who would sit down. Do you want to sit down at the end of the year uh, from going? But uh, that's probably, about, and, and the Bills coming back, beating Cleveland, you know, say, so what? But they really didn't have a bounce back win like that was important. Uh, tonight, 49ers, Cardinals. This one's going to be in Mexico. It looks like we're not going to have uh, Kyler Murray probably playing Call of Duty Modern Warfare. But <laughs> No, no. But there will be 110,000, 115,000 at the game. I mean, it seems like as much as people think football's dying, like in America with a concussion, oh, I mean, it's traveling everywhere. It's going from Germany to England to Mexico. It's blowing up. It's unbelievable. And, and this game is a total sellout. It's going to be crazy. And the 49ers, I want to watch this game because but now they have a whole like another two weeks to work with McCafferty and Debo Samuel and 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 Kittle and, and Jimmy Garoppolo who I, just the whole this is all going to work out great. I I'm I'm so excited to see what's what the 49ers do on offense because they have all these tricky plays. So let's um, talk a little NBA here quick. You think you have to, if you're a season ticket holder in the NBA, you got to be a little bit disappointed right now, right? I mean, they're not putting quality product on the field most nights. Nobody's playing, and it's really a big problem. The Heat played this week, and they were playing most of their G League team and Kyle Lowry and Max Struess played. It was unbelievable, but it's not just the Heat. It's everywhere. The starters, no starters are playing. Um, there's a game on Tuesday, which everybody talking about, because the Brooklyn Nets are playing Philadelphia, and Ben Simmons is the most hated player in the history of Philadelphia, which is saying a lot. And <laughs> you have Kyrie Irving, which is controversy wherever he goes on anything and you have Kevin Durant who is criticizing his team whatever they're actually the three players playing but the Sixers don't have Maxi, Harden or Embiid playing so who's going to watch this game as I said these games no one don't do not talk to me about what happened in November and December and January in the playoff time because these are teams this is like if the Yankees played an entire month with their farm team and said oh the Tigers have a record against the Yankees of three or six and oh it doesn't (laughs) matter this is not the Heat team Butler, Adebayo and Tyler Hero are not playing at all, but it's not just them, it's Gabe Vincent playing their bench. I have never seen, the NBA has serious problems with this, between injuries, load management, the scheduling, they have got to get this fixed because it's out of control. So before we get to Jonathan Clegg, we'll just talk a little World Cup, I know you were watching uh, the game today, USA drew to a uh, 1-1 tie with Wales. Well, uh, Christian Plissick, their star, th- had a great uh, assist to Weya, who was his father was the uh, World Player of the Year many, many years ago, he's actually president of, of uh, Liberia now, which is, crazy. <laughs> which is crazy, but it was a great Fast. So they have a one nothing lead. They go into half to the break, the, the halftime break, and then he comes out intermission. What do they call it in soccer? Halftime. Halftime. They come out at halftime, and that the whole first half was played. America, USA was dominating, dominating, dominating. Second half was completely different, and then they had a penalty kick, which was a stupid penalty. They caused a penalty kick because there was a foul in the box, the scorer's box, mm-hmm. and Gareth Bale for Wales. Uh, superstar made, player. Superstar player kicked it, and, and the goaltender, Turner, for USA, guessed right. He knew he was going to go to his right. The kick was going to go right. And he guessed right, but the kick was like a million miles an hour, and just got his fingertips on it, and it went in. Tied 1-1. So it's a 1-1, but it's like one of those things where you tie at the end, where you, the Wales is ecstatic, and the United States is depressed, because yeah. it was a tie. Because they play England on Friday, and then they play Iran, and they have, there's four teams in a group, and it, it, they have to be the top two to get out. And this by goal differential they use, so they they have two where they could be eliminated if they don't have the right goal yeah, differential. Or even if, if Wales scores seven goals against Iran and they only score four, they might be out in, in a situation like this. And people have been talking about that England plays the United States. Say England beats the United States, so they have two wins. They play Wales next. England might say, well, we'll just tie Wales. We're not going to try. 
guy, and then that could be a situation where then the United States says this was this is viewed as hurting. This tie this tie was great for Wales, bad for the United States. So the intermission is called halftime. You know what the end of the game is called? Full time. <laughs> kind of cute what they did there. Could they please just put the time? I watch it. I, I just want one thing in hockey, in the hockey, in soccer. Could they just put the time? I can't understand the stoppage time. Like, show me the clock. Like, I don't understand. Don't they want like last second kicks and things like that? Like, that's what's so exciting. And then they were talking about one of the games. They were saying, oh, well, because it's such a, that England was playing the, uh, Iran, the lead was so big that they might just forget the stoppage time. Yeah, they at the did. End. They just, just blow it. Just, just call <laughs> the game. It, it's a very weird sport because that is how they do it. And if it's three minutes of stoppage time what they say is after three minutes is eclipsed if the losing team or, or some team still has momentum they'll keep going but they don't the just blow the whistle momentum? It's, it's completely up to the ref it's crazy how, how it's could you imagine that in football it'd be yeah, like, well, it's like give Josh Allen's who it looks good yeah, yeah, yeah they're, they're, they're driving down give them another play it's only third <laughs> down they got another down like this is crazy just put a clock up there <laughs> it's not gonna happen I let's go to Jonathan Clegg it's Iron Sports this is Iron Sports where Pleased to have the author of Messi vs. Ronaldo, a Wall Street Journal uh, senior editor, Jonathan Clegg, uh, getting ready for the World Cup. Exciting book just comes at the perfect time, considering now you know, people sort of maybe in America don't think about soccer for four years, but then the World Cup comes and everybody's in, around bars watching these games. Yeah, I mean, um, that's, the, uh, that's the hope. And um, yeah, in what might be the last World Cup for Messi and Ronaldo, um, yeah, it, it it's been an exciting time. The book, you know, when I read your book, and what's interesting about it is, I mean, I follow tennis a lot, and the fact that Nadal and Federer and Djokovic also were all at the same time, and, it, and it's rare. Like, you never saw Tiger and, and, and Jack play against each other, and, and, but maybe in some sports. But I think the fact that these two played in the same country and same teams against each other over a decade, that the rivalry itself enhanced the appeal of each of the players. Yeah, that's right. I think, you know, this was um, the first time that we've ever seen, um, you know, two all-time greats playing in the world's most popular sport, like right at the same time. Um, we've had like great all-time players in the past, Pele, uh, Maradona, you know, the Dutch uh, uh, forward, Johan Cruyff. Those guys all sort of existed in their own little universes. They almost never faced each other. Um, Messi and Ronaldo were going at it you know, hammer and tongs for 10 years, like you say, playing in the same league um, on either side of one of the fiercest, most bitter um, rivalries in professional soccer between Barcelona and Real Madrid. Um, yeah, all, all that stuff was just like fuel to um, the sort of raging inferno that was their rivalry at the uh, late 2000s and early 2010s. Um, I loved in your book, I enjoyed how the discovery you wrote about how the how Ronaldo was discovered and you know he was on an island like 600 miles away in Madero and I just go a little detail about how both Messi and Ronaldo were founded because you know again they were both very very small I mean they were not these they were not LeBron, LeBron James imposing figures that people say oh my gosh LeBron James it was they had to be discovered when they were young and said boy they really have all this talent yeah that's right I mean um, soccer uh, soccer goes looking for, for promising kids real young, <laughs> like eight, nine-year-old kids are already signed up by like some of the biggest teams in the world um, because, you know, this is uh, a sport where there's no college, there's no draft. You can, you can start playing soccer um, as, soon as, as soon as the club thinks you're ready. So we've had, you know, it's not unusual to see 16-year-olds playing professional soccer. There's even been the occasional 15-year-old who's played. Um, Messi and Ronaldo... You know, so they, they, they were both um, signed young to, to big European teams. Um, but, yes, the, the way that they, they got there, um, Ronaldo was uh, sort of emerging as a star, like you say, on the island of Madeira uh, in the sort of middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Um, but a, uh, a, a scout from the uh, Portuguese club Sporting Lisbon um, uh, had sort of created this network of amateur scouts all over the country who would pass on tips to him. He heard he got word of Ronaldo, brought him over, and um, you know within seconds of watching him play on the field, he knew um, he knew that he had something special that he uh, that he he had a chance to make it. Uh, and Messi was the same. Messi's talent was no secret uh, in Argentina. They knew that he was a phenomenon. Uh, the question was whether he would ever grow sufficiently to sort of fulfill his promise. Uh, he he had a, a hormone deficiency that that uh, stunted his growth when he was a kid. Had to get uh, hormone injections. 
Um, and it was actually that, 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 that trying to find a way to pay for those injections that ultimately led his dad, who then became his agent, um, to take him you know, thousands of miles across the sea to Spain and to sign for Barcelona as a 14-year-old. Um, and once he got into the Barcelona Youth Academy, uh, the sort of legend of Messi started to grow as he himself grew physically too. Yeah, and the one thing I had Merle Code on, uh, a former executive of, of Adidas and and Nike, and we talked about the whole shoe industry. and And if you go through American sports, in terms of the fact that Michael Jordan, we follow these players that become these superstars, and it's really the shoe companies. And it's the same thing in soccer in many ways because of what Nike was able to sign Ronaldo and Adidas signed Messi uh, and, and how that worked and how both companies propelled them and, and with the advertising and just the, those times and, and made them, and not just in America but around the world, uh, super famous. Yeah, I mean, Messi and Ronaldo are like – among the most famous people ever to walk planet Earth, it is absolutely insane how popular they are, um, how famous they are around the world. Like on a level, you know, on par with, you know, the U.S. president or the Pope, um, you know, just in terms of like their social media followings, the numbers are completely staggering. I, I think Ronaldo has uh, something like 400 million Instagram followers. That's like four times as many as LeBron James, the, the most popular U.S. athlete on social media. I think we worked out that they have more followers on Instagram than every single NFL player combined. So <laughs> that, 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 that just tells you like how wildly famous these guys are. They are global icons, you know, the likes of which we've rarely seen before. And, um, and yeah, a lot of that is to do with, with Nike and Adidas. One of the crazy things, that were, one of the crazy stories from our book is, is that actually Nike had both of them signed when they were teenagers. Uh, they had both, uh, Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo signed to um, a, a shoe sponsor sponsorship deals only like a decade after Nike had sort of really started taking soccer seriously. They landed like two of the all-time greats at the same time. But they ultimately let, let Messi leave and sign with Adidas because they weren't convinced he was going to make it. He did not look like an athlete in the way that Nike was used to seeing them. You say, you know, like Nike, we think of Michael Jordan, we think of Tiger Woods. Um, Ronaldo obviously like looked it looked what what they expected an athlete to look like. Ronaldo is a physical colossus, like muscles rippling all over the place. Uh, Messi looked like you know some twelve year old had turned up playing for an adult team with a shirt billowing around him. Um, he kind of didn't really treat himself like an athlete at all back then. He used to basically eat pizza and Pepsi for every meal and nothing else. Um, and they uh, and, and he was very shy, almost almost never spoke. Uh, so. They were like, eh, maybe, maybe this guy is not going to be the, the great pitchman that we need. Um, let him sign for Adidas. And then that became another kind of dimension to their rivalry. I liked how Ronaldo was initially signed by Manchester United and went over into England. And then the, you talked in the book about his, the fight, the famous fights he had with Wayne Rooney on the team in terms of the star of the team and, and those things about, about sort of it. But he actually, I thought it was, it, that story, the story in your book was pretty cool about Rooney, about how, what they were playing against each other in international in the world, world cup. And they had a fight. It was sort of a fight where he said he wanted Rooney thrown out of the game, but, uh, but that uh, they were able to, you know, rough over those, you know, solve those rough edges and, and become friends or at least work well together on a team. Yeah, that's right. I mean, um, Wayne Rooney, you know, also a, a fantastic player, but um, but one who never quite, uh, you know, reached the kind of rarefied air of Messi and Ronaldo. But that's right. They were back, um, both playing for Manchester United back in the sort of mid-2000s. Uh, and um, yeah, the famous uh, confrontation in the uh, World Cup when England played Portugal in the quarterfinals in, in Germany. Uh, Ronaldo uh, helped get Rooney sent off, thrown out of the game, and then famously winked at the Portugal bench uh, as if to say, like, yeah, I did it. I got him, I got him, uh, got him thrown out, got him ejected. We're going to go on and win this thing. Ronaldo then scored the winning penalty, became public enemy number one in the UK. It, honestly, there were doubts about whether he could ever, ever go back to play for Manchester United because he was so loathed by every uh, football fan in the UK for getting England dumped out of the cup. But he went back there. And um, and it was that following year, really, when he kind of um, leveled up. Um, we sort of recreate in our in our um, in our book the, the the beginning of the 2007-8 season when Ronaldo uh, he got sent off this time, 
Uh, spent a month on the sidelines for various reasons. There was an international break, and he wasn't playing for Manchester United for a month. Spent that time just on the training field every day, scoring goals from every possible angle. They estimate that he scored 5,000 goals uh, in training over that, uh, that four-week period. And when he came back to the field, he was a totally different player, uh, absolute goal machine um, who turned himself um, you know, from then on into probably the finest like outright score of goals that the world has ever seen. So we sit in America, we have Duke Carolina and we have the Yankees versus the Red Sox and all the robberies, everybody, Auburn, Alabama, but in Spain, the battle between Real Madrid and Barcelona from your book, I mean, it is heated as it can go. And, and these are two clubs that just dominate the entire sport of soccer in Spain and, and talk a little bit about both of them and then how, how Messi was always at Barcelona, but then Real Madrid got Ronaldo to compete with, with Messi at Barcelona. Yeah, so, I mean, as with um, most rivalries in soccer, uh, this is like, partly about what happens on the field, but mostly about like a whole bunch of other sort of political, cultural, economic, uh, you know, stuff that sort of hangs over the rivalry. So Barcelona um, is the capital of Catalonia in Spain, a kind of fiercely separatist region of Spain that absolutely despises Madrid. Madrid, they see as the kind of symbol of the empire. Real Madrid famously was the favorite team of Francisco Franco, the Spanish dictator, who ruled over the country um, for uh, the best part of 50 years and um, ruthlessly stamped out uh, sort of Catalan and Basque, um, you know, national identity. He wanted all Spain to be the same. So that, like, obviously created um, a lot of ill will in Barcelona. And they sort of channel all that frustration and anger and hatred into the Barcelona-Real Madrid rivalry. So it's like the, the, uh, the Jedi and the Empire. They, they, they are absolutely determined to be at war with each other all the time. And um, so onto that already kind of ferocious rivalry, the, they, the Messi and Ronaldo, their rivalry kind of piggybacked on it and then sort of almost like uh, came to sort of embody that whole rivalry. Ronaldo became sort of the embodiment of Real Madrid, especially as Real Madrid, you know, is seen as the sort of, um, like I say, like the... the the, the team of uh, they, 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 they have the biggest stars. They have their attitude is, you know, we're the best. We know we're the best. And there's nothing you can do to stop us. That exactly jived with Ronaldo's own kind of uh, huge ego and the way that he sort of struts around the field like a peacock. It, it, everything about Ronaldo and Real Madrid work together. And Messi, in the same way, uh, his sort of characteristics, um, the sort of Messi is the kind of genius, the natural the artist on the football field, all that sort of really doubles with how Barcelona views itself as well. And so, um, yeah, so those matches when they played, it's called the Classico, whenever Real Madrid and Barcelona play each other, they are insane games. Very few players have managed to play for both Barcelona and Real Madrid. The last one who did, a guy called Luis Figo, um, he moved from Barcelona to Real Madrid. The first time he went back to Real Madrid, the fans spent the entire game whistling uh, so loudly that it was also almost impossible to hear, hear. They threw a pig's head onto the field to show how much they hated him. Uh, so this is like bananas, the rivalry. Um, and, and all that just like really, um, like I say, like fueled the Messi-Ronaldo rivalry and, um, and helped to propel them to a level of global fame that, um, that we'd not seen before. And then I like your book. I mean, you're a Wall Street Journal article so, writer, so you certainly talk about the business side of sports. But the fact that both Real Madrid and Barcelona, which are clubs, it's weird how you set up. It's probably too difficult to, in this to understanding the financial, how it's, they're set up. But the fact is that they they saw what Manchester United had done in terms of becoming popular. Like, we need to increase our marketing. We need to increase everything else. We can't just rely on ticket sales and concession stands. And sort of like, you know, took the same model of like the Dallas Cowboys of the NFL in terms of branding, in terms of the global media, in terms of uh, TV revenue. And that's why they became these behemoths, both of these Real Madrid and Barcelona. And the fact that they were in the same country and competing against each other with the two biggest stars, that just added more fuel to the fire. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's kind of crazy, but even when Ronaldo signed with Real Madrid in, in 2009, um, Spanish football was still kind of a business backwater by comparison with the Premier League. The Premier League, the England's top uh, soccer league, that had formed in 1992 as a breakaway of the, the top 20 clubs. 
they decided they wanted everything to be much more professional, much more like the NFL. Actually, they took uh, they took their cues de- deliberately from the NFL to try and make their um, league, uh, you know, to try and commercialize the league. Um, the Premier League then took off, became far and away the richest league around the world. Spanish football was left behind, pretty much. It was just Real Madrid, Barcelona, and then you know everyone else. Um, when Real when Real Madrid got Ronaldo, uh, and Messi was at Barcelona. Yeah, they they quickly upped their game, um, commercialized very quickly, became the uh, overtook Manchester United to become the richest clubs in the world. But they were doing it like all on the fly, all very quickly, kind of piecing things together as as much as they could. Which is why when Ronaldo and Messi left Spanish football, when Ronaldo left uh, Real Madrid to join uh, Juventus in Italy in 2019, Messi famously left Barcelona. Um, before last season to join Paris Saint-Germain in France. Um, neither club was really built to sort of withstand their departures. Um, they both had huge black holes in their finances. When Messi left Barcelona, Barcelona was more than a billion dollars in debt because they had been mortgaging their futures to pay for the present while Messi and Ronaldo were there to try and extract every sort of last win they could get from their um, their eras to pick up every possible trophy they could manage while they had these two shooting stars uh, on their team. And then by the time they left, you know, Spanish football um, wasn't really prepared for it. Like I say, both clubs um, had, you know, sizable holes in their, um, in their accounts. And Barcelona is still kind of struggling to transition to the post-Messi era even now. And they only play, I was surprised this, that now when Bird and Magic play in the NBA, it's not like they play all the time also, but they only play two to four times a year. And they've only played, I think, 30, during that time between 2018, they played 30 times and 34 in their total, total time, they actually actually played against each other. And you wrote in the book how people tried to put these, you know, pay-per-view matches or each one picked their own sides. You would think that these two big names, you would have got some maybe more, more matches, more of these pay-per-view matches between the two, two of them. That's right. Yeah. I mean, like, like you said, with, with Rafa and Roger and Djokovic, you know, they play like dozens of times a year, um, uh, even in, even in like the, uh, the NBA playoffs, like you say, Steph and LeBron might play, you know, yeah, like a, a dozen times a season if they have a, a playoff series against each other. Um, yeah. Over the whole course of their careers, they've only met just, just over 30 times, which is um, kind of incredible. Uh, and yeah, in, in, the, uh, in, in 2016, a, a group of businessmen decided that, that, that the world needed more Messi Ronaldo. Um, <laughs> tried to set up a, an all-star game, uh, 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 Ronaldo FC against Team Messi. They'd be the captains. They'd pick the uh, pick the all-stars. Nike would would uh, you know kit out the uh, Ronaldo team. Adidas would supply Messi jerseys, um, and yeah, it would operate sort of much like the NBA all-star game does now. But uh, that, that never quite happened. Um, Florentino Perez, the Real Madrid uh, owner, decided that he wanted you know 20 million bucks for every single one of his players that was going to be allowed to play in this game. That quickly kind of put an end to it. But um, but yes, uh, the, the football world kind of during their their period of greatness was was sort of desperately trying to find more ways to get Messi and Ronaldo to play against each other. Um, you know, Spanish football kind of. Uh, tweaked some of its tournaments to sort of enable uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid to meet more readily. Um, but, you know, it's, 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 um, it's tough. Every team plays each other just twice in the league every season. Um, so, you know, matches between them were rare, which is why, you know, I think the sort of absolute peak of the Messi-Ronaldo era was when, um, in 2012, when uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid played each other four times in 18 days uh, at the sort of end of that season. Uh, with kind of all the marbles to play for, they they played in the in the Spanish league, they played in the Spanish Cup, and they played twice in the Champions League. That sort of period of 18 days was just like 18 days of nonstop hysteria in Spain, like a, a, a Super Bowl every single night for 18 days straight. And um, and yeah, was was kind of one of the one of the craziest periods in in modern soccer history. Well, one of my friends, when I told him about this book, he goes, uh, he goes, oh, only read it if if the if the author's 
pick the right person as the better player. And of course, you don't do that in the book, but but in, in, you go over a lot of things, but and you go over the debates between you know who's better. I mean, it's like saying you know again, it, it, it was the same debates in all different sports on you know where it's what you know that are playing you know Tiger Jack and LeBron and Michael and those things. But there's never there's not an answer. But uh, in your opinion, like where 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 is the consensus around? in terms of between Messi and Ronaldo, who is the uh, better player per se? So I think, you know, um, I think the, the consensus among, um, I think, most fans is that Messi sort of just edges it. But one of the really interesting things is that among players, I think they, they sort of idolize and respect Ronaldo more. Um, part of this, part of the reason that I think the debate about them is so kind of fierce and like I, I really honestly this debate is waged every day on social media it's like you know if you go to the comments for any YouTube uh, any soccer video on YouTube and, uh, invariably it ends up with someone debating Messi or Ronaldo um, and I think the reason for that um, is that it kind of the, which way you choose kind of depends on how you view the world right it's like your own sort of personal philosophy Messi as I said it sort of symbolizes um, natural genius. It's like he was born to play soccer. And the moment he stepped on the field, um, it was like magic happened. He was sort of like Mozart, you know, like put him in front of a, a piano and, and he could already um, make, um, you know, make, make magnificent compositions. Ronaldo is sort of like the ultimate grafter, the striver, a person who has spent so long in the gym and eating right and in ice baths at 3 a.m. every single day to turn himself into like the absolute physical specimen, the best physical specimen that he could possibly become. And I think when you put it like that, the natural against the, the grafter, the striver, which one of those you sort of naturally identify with, which one you kind of respect and admire more, kind of explains why the Messi-Ronaldo debate is kind of unanswerable because some people are drawn to the natural. Some people feel like the natural kind of has it too easy and they're drawn to the person who has to put, every, you know, has tried so hard and worked so hard for everything they achieve and that there's something more laudable or, or respectable in that. Um, so I think that's why the debate will, will, will never, ever be settled. Now we're getting, we're talking to uh, Jonathan Clegg, Wall Street Journal writer, and, and I guess the final quote about his book, Messi vs. Ronaldo, it's available right now, perfect time, great read uh, for anybody, even if you're not that interested in soccer, it's exciting to read about this book, and from even the business side of soccer, but the World Cup's coming up in a few weeks. Um, neither has, uh, Messi's, they never, neither one has won the World Cup. Messi was in, the one, was in one final, Ronaldo's never been a final. I was surprised that they were each, I think, in four, and, and, their, and their records were, were, were pretty not, you know, mixed in terms of their performance in the World Cup. I mean, wouldn't it be amazing in, in what should be perhaps the final World Cup for both of them? What if they, you know, that, you know, in the final or something would be the biggest watch sports event of all time, I assume. Oh, yeah. I mean, amazingly, <laughs> the, the, the World Cup draw, the bracket has already been drawn. And yeah, that, it is possible that Argentina and Portugal, Messi and Ronaldo would meet in the World Cup final. It would be by far the craziest wildest, most insane World Cup final ever if the Messi-Ronaldo rivalry ended up playing out in the final. Um, yeah, I mean, the World Cup has not been a happy um, hunting ground for Messi or Ronaldo. Um, I think, you know, one thing you need to remember with Ronaldo is he's from uh, Portugal, uh, which, you know, Portugal is a, a, uh, a good uh, football soccer nation, but um, not one that had much um, success before Ronaldo's uh, arrival. Um, they had had great players. Um, they had a brief spell of kind of success in the 1960s and then a really strong uh, generation of players in the 1990s. But their record um, since Ronaldo started playing for Portugal is way better in the sort of uh, tw 20 years since he started playing for Portugal than it was in the 80 years before he, he arrived. So Ronaldo has transformed Portugal's fortunes and, and, and he won, you know, he won a, a trophy with Portugal in 2016, the Euro Cup which, um, you know, is a sort of second to the World Cup in, in international honours. So he has had success with Portugal, but not never at the World Cup. And, and in truth, it's hard to see Portugal going all the way this time. Um, Messi, by contrast, comes from Argentina, which is, you know, soccer royalty has won the World Cup 
uh, many times. Uh, and his sort of predecessor as the Argentinian uh, goat, Diego Maradona, um, famously won the World Cup almost single-handed in 1986 uh, to become, you know, sort of folk hero in Argentina. So, um, yeah, Messi, um, M- Messi has a chance this time, though, to kind of avenge that loss in 2014 and, and kind of pick up the one remaining trophy that he's never managed to win because Argentina are heading into this World Cup on an absolute tear. I think they're undefeated in 35 games. Uh, they won the Copa America, the, the South American um, soccer tournament in 2021. So, um, yeah, so they are, um, they are one of the, the strong contenders. And Messi himself, after a kind of miserable year last year in Paris, when he kind of seemed to be totally um, at a loss after unexpectedly leaving Barcelona, uh, joining Paris Saint-Germain, kind of walked through that entire season, seemingly sort of still processing his departure from Barcelona, not kind of really able to figure out what was going on or where he was or what he was doing. Um, he's now started this season on fire, looking like his old self. So Argentina, yeah, strong contenders to to, uh, to to win the trophy in Qatar. Well, I'm excited with the World Cup. I think it's going to be great. I mean, I wish it was in the summer and not against football. You know, American football, it's hard. But uh, it's certainly the, the excitement of, of uh, this great uh, player, Messi, and his final World Cup at Ronaldo and his final World Cup, possibly. Uh, it'll be exciting to, to watch that. So, Jonathan, thanks so much for coming on Iron Sports. And your book, Messi vs. Ronaldo, is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, anywhere you can get a book. I, I highly recommend it to everybody. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Only have about a minute here, Ira. What's going on in tennis? Well, Novak Djokovic, who was not allowed to play the U.S. Open this year and the Australian Open, but had won Wimbledon, uh, uh, came back because of the COVID and all the rules and everything around it. But he showed that he's probably still the best player in the world, beating Medvedev, Taylor Fritz, and then Kasparud Ruud in the final. It's the, the ATP Tour Finals, where they take the best eight, they play round robin, and then they play the, fi- two, the semifinal and final, but he won, so the, the final match ATP uh, championship. What about Formula One? Well, it was the last race of the year. Matthew Verstappen, it was an Abu Dhabi. Verstappen had won uh, it four years, four races ago, had won the title. But the question was, was Ferrari with Leclerc or Verstappen's teammate Sergio Perez uh, from Red Bull become second? And Leclerc from Ferrari held on to, to finish second this race, and then he finished second overall. Verstappen has ended the year with 15 wins. The previous record was 13. Uh, Lewis Hamilton of Mercedes had zero wins. He, of course, had won the title seven times. And this is a streak, stops a streak of winning 15 times in a row. Uh, but and also Sebastian Vettel, who's a four-time champion, he retired. So we're set up. They take, I think, like two or three months off and back again for next year. It's going to be big next year because you're going to have a Vegas race, a Miami race, and the Austin race. So, Ira, what are you doing this week? Hopping on a flight to Qatar? Going to see England versus uh, USA? I think I'm going to go to <laughs> No, but I, I think we're going to go. How about Michigan and Ohio State? And then to, uh, Tampa Bay at Cleveland. And then the Steelers at the Colts Monday night. So we got I got three games that week and then three games the following week. So I, I'm excited. to, to When you hear the Monday night game and it fits in well, that's always cool. We're out of time. Thanks so much to Jonathan Clegg. He's Ira. I'm Mike. We'll talk next Monday night. Ira on sports.